0: Hello again ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 59 of Radiance, my Fallout fanfiction. As always, I do hope you've been enjoying this little trail through the little manic Fallout universe that I've been weaving us for us all. And as always, if you can like, subscribe, share this wherever you can, it's always appreciated. As is any feedback you can leave me at fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. Every comment's welcome. Or even on my Discord, if you're not already a member. Come and join the fun. You never know, you might meet some people of a like mind. Have some fun, have some debates, have some arguments. You never know what's around the next corner. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show, shall we? Oh, but here's the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it. That's all to do with, you know, Bethesda and all their lot. They own all the Atom store and all the money and all the bugs and the glitches and everything else. I'll just keep the crazy tales. That's all I need. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 59, On the Wings of Angels Seven sat on a stool watching both Timothy and Shauna, working on the device that had caused all the changes to passer. who was still sat in the medical lab for observation right next to them, as he wanted to make sure that the nanites that had invaded his body had no further surprises in store for them. How far could the enclave have something this fucking powerful in their possession and not have it under lock and key? Uh, or, oh, I don't know, maybe in one of their major bio-labs or something? Seven asked and Timothy shrugged. Not sure, but my guess is they had absolutely no idea what it is they had. All the major powers have tech scav teams operating all over, looting all private and government labs for useful tech. But the general rule of thumb for these teams is If it looks intact and somewhat valuable, grab it. If it's not useful, it's broken, it'll get dumped or scrapped for parts later on. You wouldn't believe the sheer amount of old pre-war tech that scribes like me have to sift through every single day. For every, like, 100 items, we might find maybe five useful things. Trust me when I say there's a bit of a backlog. There's only so many scribes and techs to go around and catalogue every single broken car plasma canister or electromagnet that gets brought in so it's real fucking easy to overlook something that's actually important simply because it was buried in the backlog think about it it's not just that we have to do around the place so we're trying to do our own work and sift through that at the same time so we're basically under a shit ton of pressure because you think about it scribe teams are not very big there's only maybe say 10 of us to a team and each one of those ten has maybe a couple of thousand pieces to go through, and they're all backlogged, plus our own work. So unless we go into a space specifically targeting a piece of tech which we want to get out of there, in which case, that goes straight to the front of the list and jumps everything else, which makes the list even longer, Timothy explained. So, you're saying they simply didn't know they had it? Seven said, and Timothy nodded. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, think about it. I didn't see a name on the box or a fucking manual with the thing, did you? So Timothy said, and Seven thought for a moment and then shook his head. He knew that Timothy was right. There'd been no markings on the case to indicate what was inside the thing, other than the case itself. And to be honest with you, there was no real indication that there was anything powerful, let alone important in there. It was just a simple metal case. OK, so that's the why. Now on to the how. How the hell did the ghouls get their hands on this thing? Seven asked, turning time, this time to Faith, who'd spent all morning chatting to her people back in Underworld via the hardline comms to find out exactly what had happened there. Okay, so what, I've, when I, what I was able to gather from the scav teams, they hit an enclave cache about a week ago. They've been watching them for a while. They've been hitting labs all over the area and bringing out gear. So they decided them to hit them just as the team went out on another run. So there'd be minimal resistance. But they only had minimal space to carry things, so they went for weapons and anything else that they could snag that was basically man-portable. That thing just happened to be among them, as it was just a case. They had no idea what the hell was inside it. They just grabbed it and run. It looked intact, so fair game, I guess. But they had no idea what they had, so it was just listed for our scientists to get to. Same way as what Timothy just explained. We've only got so many people to be able to go through it, and I don't know about you, but I haven't seen that many ghoul scientists or engineers knocking about of you. Our teams are even smaller than theirs, Faith said, and Seven nodded an understanding. So neither of you guys had any idea either, huh? He said, and she shook her head too. You think you'd think you we'd just been laid on a shelf if we did. That thing would have been so far locked away that bloody Satan himself would have had to go through ten fucking checkpoints to fucking reach it. Shit, and know we had a kit tool capable of rewriting claw genetic code in our possession? Our scientists would have been creaming their pants. I mean think about the potential for that. It's a tool capable of undoing or even adapting the very F what the FEV does to its victims. Hell, it might be even possible to adapt it to undo what's been done to ghouls. Something like that would be fucking priceless to us, to everyone. I mean, think about the possibilities, she said, and Seven nodded again. So, I guess the question here remains how exactly does that do what exactly did that thing do to Pasma? I mean, r- surely rewriting a living thing's genetic code would should I, like, kill it, surely, he said, and Shauna glanced up from her powerful electromagnoscope. Well, I'm not 100% sure yet, but my best theory is because of the way the nanomachines work. While some of them adapt in the genetic code, others are set about repairing the damage caused by the process, while also creating the body parts that the new codes are actually trying to create. Granted, this is just theory at the moment, as nanotech has always been pretty unstable and unpredictable tech. Hell, I can count on the ha- on one hand how many times I've actually seen it being applied successfully, she said, and Timothy nodded. I'll second that. The Brotherhood's always ultra cautious when they come across nanotech. It usually gets destroyed outright, too, mostly because of the fear of the grey goo doomsday scenario. Timothy said, and Seven cocked his head curiously. Grey goo scenario? He asked, and Timothy nodded. Yeah, it's a scenario where nanos machines essentially run amok. They replicate over and over and over again, consuming everything they come into contact for its base materials. Reducing it all to a grey goo, essentially, made completely out of base components. Timothy explained, making both Seven and Passer shiver as the big white claw looked at his hand. And those things are inside me right now? He said, sounding rather forlorn, and Timothy gave him a sympathetic look and nodded. Though I don't believe you, they mean you any harm, because if they did, they would have already done so, he said. Okay, so what about what happened to Passer to begin with? How did this happen to him? And from what he said, the ball relayed to him a message that said his DNA had been damaged by radiation. But I thought claws were all immune to that stuff. Sam said, and shook her head. No creature is fully immune to the effects of radiation, not even ghouls. They just have a much, much, much higher resistance to it, and to its effects, than most people. But however slow the damage effect is, it's still there. And you're forgetting the point that just because it says damage doesn't mean damage done to pass for himself. It could just be damaged genes that were actually passed to him through years of breeding. It could be almost anything, like a once-dominant gene that's now become a recessive, causing a mutation. Now, whether that's a positive or a negative is a question, really. And for time and evolution. Think about it. Evolution itself is just a simple series of mutations to DNA over time. Now this could be something as innocuous as the changing of the colour of his eyes right through to something more damaging like giving him a hole in his heart. All of these things are genetic and radiation just simply has a habit of speeding the process up or inevitably totally fucking it up, causing things like tumours, cancer, just by simply damaging the cells and the DNA contained within. Sean said, explained very much layman's terms with the benefits of the non-scientists in the room, which pretty much made up 100% of her audience. So, when the device said it repaired 20% of his genome, it might not have meant giving him wings, really. It might have just been detected degradation in the DNA, and potentially causing him, or future generations of his line, to develop some sort of disease or condition. Seven asked, trying to clarify in her own mind. Shona smiled and nodded and clicked her fingers. Exactly. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly what genes it modified, or what it really did now. So, I mean, even if I took a sample from him now, I won't have anything to compare it to. I could do a series of tests on his mother and siblings and try and isolate the changes, but I simply don't have the tools to do that here. We'd need a full-on genetics lab for that kind of thing plus time, because mapping a genome is not exactly an easy thing, she said. Okay then, so where did the wings come from? And what was that about it reporting inserting mammalian DNA into the mix? What the hell was that all about? Seven asked, and Shauna shrugged. Not sure, though all I can think of is it detected potentially dangerous sequences that if left unchecked could possibly cause him or maybe as even his descendants major problems down the line. But why he decided to splice mammalian DNA in is a bit of a mystery. I have only theories at hand at the moment. It's too too short to tell, really. Perhaps it figured out that it could repair the damage by swapping these gene sequences with compatible ones from another species in order to try and correct these problems. Or maybe it was programmed to make him into what he was meant to be all along. There's been many speculated theories over time over what the claws were meant to be when they were originally made using the FEV. But without a pure sample of claw DNA, from that time period, what it extrapolated is what it could think it should be. Or it could simply be damaged and simply operated on what code it had working. There are just so many theories here that I really can't nail one down. Not yet. I need more information and more evidence to work with, she said. Yeah, me too. I can't find any obvious evidence, damage, or flaws here. But I still need either the original documentation that came with it or the studies done on it, and I might know exactly where we can lay our hands on such things. But I will warn you, you'll be a major pain in the ass to get, Timothy said, and Sam looked at him and groaned. Let me guess. The Brotherhood Archives? He said, and Timothy nodded. Yep. The place where I originally remember reading about this thing. And I'll be straight, it's going to be a royal cunt to get into. The archives are extremely well protected, Timothy said. Well, it's a good thing then we have an invisible nightstalker girl and a Cloud Girl that can pass through any gap and break into any machine then, isn't it? Seven said with a grin. Let me get this straight. You want us to break into the Brotherhood? I thought we were going after the Enclave Labs, Wesp exclaimed, glancing between Timothy and Seven in amazement. We are... But we're going to need to split our forces up here. This is kind of important at the end of the day. So while the main team will be heading to the lab to hit it, you two are going to be heading to the Brotherhood to break in and to find any details you can find on this Project Unity so that we can figure out what the hell it did to Parsa. But we cannot afford on waiting on hitting the lab. We've got to make sure that if the Enclave haven't got there yet, we beat them to the punch and if they have, we dig them the hell out. Seven said. "'Just the two of us?' "'Riss asked and Seven nodded. "'Yeah, you two are the only ones "'who can slip through that place unnoticed. "'Given what we're not trying to start "'a all-out war with the Brotherhood yet. "'Well, unless we really have to. "'This is our best and really only option. "'I'd rather not bust in there "'and fuck up the place if it can be avoided. "'I'm saving that shit for those "'that really deserve it in the form of the Enclave. "'But don't get me wrong.' If it does turn out that it is needed, then we'll do it all right. But for now, stealth's our best option, I think, Seven said. Riss nodded and looked at her husband, who was stood at her side, and reached out to stroke his face. Don't worry, my love. They will never see me coming or going, she said with a warm smile, and he stepped in to her hand and hugged her tight against him. i not doubts it for a single second he said proudly into her chest, his voice sounding slightly muffled. "'Well, I guess I'm leaving my new body then, here, then, huh?' Wisp said, and Seven nodded. "'I'd recommend it. "'Well, make sure it's safe and good before you set off. "'And if you ride with wrists, that should stop them from seeing you,' he said, and she nodded before turning to Malachi, who was wringing his hands nervously and shuffling from side to side on his eight feet as he contemplated being separated from his love.' She stepped forward and, just like Riss, she wrapped him up in her arms to comfort her beloved man and to soothe his fears of losing her that were blatantly running through his head. "'Don't you worry, my big sexy spider-boy. I'll be right back in your arms before you know it. You can't hurt a cloud, and I got worse watching my back. So will be fine. You'll see,' she said, and hugging him even tighter. "'I hope so,' he said softly, kissing her cheek and rubbing her face with his little mandibles.' Seeing how quickly Riss could move from roof to rooftop, leaping with such incredible strength and grace and truly covering massive gaps with ease, Wisp finally understood how Riss was able to scout the way she did. She was incredibly agile and fast on her feet, while moving with such sure-footed confidence that it was actually a true joy to watch her progress through her eyes as she rode with her. She could climb even near vertical walls of solid concrete, but of because the claws on her feet. While they weren't claw level of sharp or strong, still allowed her to dig in and climb vertically. As long as she had handholds to hoist herself up, she could go vertically as fast as she could almost go horizontally. So, according to the map that Timothy drew for us, the Brotherhood compound should be about 500 metres off to our left, Wisp said into the radio transceiver and Riss's ear, that she discovered that Wisp could use to communicate with when she was out of her body, without having to try and patch into Riss's mind, which was a bonus for both. I see it, Riss said, looking over towards the massive building that was surrounded on all sides by fences and guard stations. <laughs> kind of looked like a giant hexagon. From where they stood atop the broken skyscraper, there had been an extremely good view of the Brotherhood compound. The place of once upon a time had been called the Pentagon, and was now called the Citadel. The building had been taking an obscene amount of damage in both the war and since it, as was evidenced by the constant state of repair it seemed to be in, with metal plating having been welded over just about every surface. Anti-missile fences were set up everywhere, and the building itself had fences running around the entire perimeter. Fun patrol channels that power-suited soldiers patrolled near constantly. Atop the building was a series of watchtowers that held snipers, armed with heavy cavalry anti-material rifles and plasma weaponry, and they sat ready to take out any perceived threat with pinpoint accuracy upon discovering it. That's a lot of security, just like Timothy said, said, and Miss nodded her head, though to anyone watching. should be nothing more than a slight shimmer in the air. Alright, according to Timothy, the archives are in the basement, where the scribes are all based. He said our best bet for entry was through a parking garage round the, back of the be- round the back of the building that's been converted into a quick access bay for the teams that work on their power armour. It's kind of like a maintenance area. It's on the east side of the building and there will be a lot of soldiers and people in there. But given how open it is, shouldn't be too much of a problem for us to pass right through undetected as long as we're careful, right? Wisp said and wrist nodded again. I will be as silent a shadow in the night, Riss said, and with that she leapt right off the side of the building. Riss landed with a thud on the roof of another building and proceeded to leap from building to building until they ran out of them. Then she dropped back down to street level and began to slowly cross the open ground. Moving fast here would cause her cloak to shimmer and make her easier to see. So slow, steady movements were both their friends. The only speed to Riss's movements was when she had to leap over a 12-foot fence, like she was jumping over a knee-high wall. She was timing her movements to coincide with the guards being clear of the area, but when they got around to the east side of the buildings, they found something that made her pause. Um, I don't think we should tell Visa or Vess about this, otherwise we might end up with a claw riot on our hands. And as much as I'd love to see those bastards face a fucking claw justice for this... "'given that it was the enclave that made him do it. "'I really don't think it's justified. "'But I do really hope that Seven and the others "'can turn those poor claws loose, "'right in the middle of that lab. "'Teach those bastards a fucking lesson,' "'wisp snarled right in Riss's ear. "'Agreed. "'I would love to see those innocent claws "'get even for this atrocity.' "'Riss snarled quietly as they looked at a burn pit.' filled with bones and horns that had once obviously belonged to controlled claws that had been taken down as they'd been forced to attack the Brotherhood compound. At least they didn't leave them to rot. As little comfort as there is in this, at least they can be together in the afterlife. If there is such a thing, Wisp said solemnly, and Riss nodded. It is little comfort, but at least this point I'll take any over none," she replied, before turning away from the gruesome sight of the pit filled with white and black ash, that had once been proud and noble claws, but was now nothing more than a reminder of once what it once had been. They found the garage rather easily, and just like Timothy had said, it was a massive open area that had obviously once been protected by VIP parking. It was now a staging eve for the Brotherhood engineers to work on suits of power armour "'that were all stood silently in their stands while the they buzzed around them. "'The place was swarming with soldiers, scribes, paladins and engineers, "'all milling about as patrols came in and went out. "'Okay, silence from this point on. "'Just nod your head to agree and shake it to disagree, okay?' "'Wisp said and Risk nodded. "'Okay then, according to Timothy, we need to head to the far side.' From there there'll be an elevator, that head's down to the basement. It's locked behind a card reader system. That should be no problem for yours truly. Once we're in there, we're going to need to pass through a few checkpoints. So a few distractions may be in order, Wisp said. And Risp nodded again as she began a slow controlled walk through the living minefield that was the garage. The crescendo of sounds washed over them from every direction. Everything from talking to the sounds of grinders and various power tools... "'It was all a bit overwhelming to the senses, really.' "'Wisp did not envy Riss at this particular moment, "'especially with her sensitive hearing, having to endure this. "'But, to be fair, endure it she did, "'and she moved just as she said she would, "'as silent as a shadow in the night. "'She ducked and dodged and weaved between the masses of Brotherhood personnel "'as she made her way across the garage, right to the far side. "'Right exactly where Timothy had said it would be, "'there was a bank of elevators.' "'It looked like they'd been fixed up with additional security layers by the Brotherhood. "'It should be that one on the far right,' "'Wisp said, remembering the layout plan that Timothy had barged her with before they'd set off. Riz headed over to it and pressed a call button to bring it up to them, "'while stepping to one side to avoid bumping into the constant flow of personnel using the other ones. "'Felt real odd to be right next to all these people "'and for them to be completely unaware of their presence.' The elevator doors opened with a soft ping moments later, revealing a large open cab that Risp poked her head in to look for cameras. Fortunately, it was clear that there was a card reader on the far wall of the cab next to the buttons, which were currently all dark. OK, up close, close the doors, and I'll keep an eye out while I work, Wisp said, and Risp pressed the door close button before Wisp shot out of her head, which she had been switching between her radio and eyes so she could speak and see at the same time. She penetrated the card reader with ease, and just when it was a simple case of bypassing it, which compared to the lockhouse in Raven Rock, this was kind of like a leverage lock. The buttons all lit up as she completed the bypass, and wrist-pressed the button for the correct level. The doors shunt closed, and the whole thing began to move slowly downwards. Wisp flowed right back up into her head, with nothing to say as they travelled downwards in the surprisingly smooth elevator. For some reason, she'd half expected it to be jerky and bumpy, but it seemed that the Brotherhood engineers really knew their stuff. Though, to be fair, if Timothy was anything to go by, that was really a given, to be fair. As he reached the floor required, the cab gently jerked to a stop before the door stood quietly open with a ping revealing a long, narrow concrete corridor beyond it. There was a series of wall lamps creeting pools of light, light, light along the wall and floor, along with a couple of checkpoints for the people to pass through. Slow and low, big girl. Let's not get cocky here. We could be here for a while and the last thing we need to do is be playing hide-and-seek with these fuckers, Wisp said. Spoiled sport. Riss said playfully and nearly silently in a whisper that made Wisp laugh in her head. She could see why Ruddance liked her. She was so confident in herself that it was kind of infectious sometimes. The corridor was a rather tight and narrow space, and more than once Riss had to flatten herself against the wall in order to allow distracted-looking scribe or two to pass by unhindered. This came in useful, though, passing through the security checkpoints as they just tagged on behind them as they went through. They weren't much more than a simple gateway which the scribe had to go up to, present their ID and then pass through. So as they opened the gates, they passed simply through behind them. All the scribes down here seemed to be wearing the same Pip-Boys that Seven had and some of them were so engrossed with the files and research they were looking at that more than once they witnessed them walking into each other. The place was like a maze, all kinds of labs set up all over the shop with various different scribes testing a variety of things. But eventually, right dead centre in the middle of the maze, they found their target, the main archives. The place was like a bastion of order in the centre of chaos that surrounded them. There were large wo- circular wooden and metal shelves that surrounded a series of computers that were set up in a circular desk in a bank that had one or two scribes doing research on them while the rest were wandering about among the shelves. The shelves themselves were filled with a mixture of both paper books and what looked like hollow tapes. "'All right, big girl, head over to one of the computers. "'Pretty far away from the scribes would be good, "'and I'll jack in and we'll see what we got,' Wisp said. Wisp nodded and silently moved over to one of the computers. She looked around quickly before ducking down and allowing Wisp to exit her body and infiltrate one of the computers.' which to a casual observer would now appear like it was working all on its own, as she began to search through the network, looking for the files on this Project Unity. Thanks to her ability to access technology directly without any need for peripherals like keyboards or anything like that, it did tend to speed things right up, because once she was inside the chipset, it was like her thoughts became the commands. So simply searching for Project Unity was as simple as thinking about it. As it turned out, the computer was simply held a card catalogue number for a shelving unit which obviously meant the files were either paper or hollow discs. The was silently hoping for the latter as files would be rather tricky and cumbersome for them to carry out of here unnoticed. Silently she exited the computer and slipped back into Riss's radio. OK, big girl, it appears they filed it away. It's on one of the shelves in section B12, section 2, Wisp said, and Riss nodded immediately, looking up at the ceiling to see if the Brotherhood had been helpful enough to label the sections, which thankfully, due to the fact they were all anally retentive, they had done. It took them all five minutes to find the section that they were looking for. Once in there, Riss began looking along the shelves, taking part in the long, laborious task of searching the long, curved shelves for the files they wanted. To Wisp, it kind of felt familiar, searching through library shelves like this, but to her memory, she'd never even been in the library like this, let alone search hours of searching. Though somehow, this felt like it was triggering all sorts of feelings of déjà vu. The why was beyond her. It took quite a bit of scouring, but eventually, they found what they were looking for. It was a series of three hollow tapes that seemed like they were compatible with a Pip-Boy. They were contained in a box with a large circular symbol on it that held a double helix strand of DNA dead at the centre. After checking the body, Riss snagged the tapes and hid them in her pockets, which, thanks to her field of her body was generating, was hidden in as much as her flesh was. All right, that's it. Mission complete. Time to bug out, big girl. Whispered and Riss Whis nodded her affirmation. And that's when they heard something interesting and they stopped to listen in before they got the fuck out. Hey, did you hear what was going on down in Broth, towards Boston? One of the scribes was saying to another. Yeah, odd synthetics running around. Fucking mutants everywhere and now sighting of those fucking avians as well. And did you know there's been so whispers that those fuckers are actually people? The second scribe said, and the first one, who was a young human woman with bright green eyes and blonde hair, looked shocked. People? As in walking, talking people? She said, and the second scribe, a young man in his early twenties with jet black, wiry, curly hair, nodded his head. Yeah, from the reports I got to see before the elders squirreled them away, they got... They got driven down from the mountains around there. But there were a couple of reports from when the paladin shot one of them down that they were speaking, even begging for mercy. But I don't know how accurate they are, he said, and the woman looked shocked. Fucking bird people now. Fuck, this is almost as bad as the reports I read about those insect people living in the caves down in near Florida. And that new breed of death claw that's supposedly infesting in the area around Nuka world. They're supposed to be twice the size of a normal claw. So I mean, fuck me, that's a scary thought. Then there's those reports from our scouts about talking scorpions. Wonder what the fuck the world's come into. It's going crazy. Either that, or everybody's been taking a bit too much bloody jet. She said, and the other scribe nodded in his head. Well, that was interesting. Maybe it might be a good idea to see if we can get our hands on those scout reports. I think. To be fair, I think Seven will be rather interested in them don't you? What do you say, big girl? Wisp asked and Wisp nodded quickly, and they headed back towards the computers for Wisp to once again do her thing. It didn't take her long to find what she was looking for, as all the computers all over this place seemed to be part of a large central network. Even though there were a large amounts of security and encryption protecting the more sensitive data, but to Wisp it was nothing more than a hindrance, and pretty soon... She was inside the files, and she started forcing it all to be written to a holotape for Riss to be able to collect. Just like printing out a file, really. Once it was done, it was time to leave this place with their bounty in their possession. She just hoped the other team was having as much luck as they were. Watch the flanks! Seven yelled as he deflected a hail of incoming fire from a trooper carrying a minigun before throwing the lead right back at him forcing the power-armoured soldier to duck out of sight as a wall of lead shredded everything around him as well as sparking off his armour. Visa dashed across the open ground, avoiding a hail of fire from the entrenched enclave soldiers before diving into a narrow corridor, taking the two soldiers hiding in the place by complete surprise. And by the two blood-curdling screams that came out, she seemed to be fresh out of mercy. Fuck me, these bastards are dug in like fucking scale-ticks! Ven yelled as he grabbed hold of one of the Enclave officers and began to use him as a club to sweep the legs out from another soldier in power armour before proceeding to smash the screaming officer against the man's head with a series of sickening crunches. A second bellowing roar from their right drew Seven's attention momentarily and he turned just in time to see Vess smash clean through a wall trying to get to the men who'd barricade themselves in a room beyond it where they seemed to have set up a machine gun that they'd been pinning them down for quite some time. By the screams that came from inside, she'd taken a leaf out of her daughter's book and was using them as living, breathing vents for her frustration. By the way, these men seemed to de- determined to crawl through the firing slot they'd set up at this makeshift pillbox, and she was ser- showing them just as little mercy as well. "'We need to break through!' Raymond yelled as he fired off a series of shots from, cu- from cover to seven side at a load of entrenched soldiers beyond. The Enclave had apparently not only managed to reach the lab, but had set up heavy-duty defences on the entire entrance, and they weren't giving up without a serious fight. Every single inch they got was costing a lot. No sooner had the group arrived on the scene than they'd been forced into cover by the sheer wall of projectiles that threw down on them. "'Get on my ass! We're punching through these fuckers!' Seven bellowed, and with that he jumped out from behind the concrete barricade that he'd been using for cover.' He held out his hands in front of him and focused as hard as he could. It felt like a game of Pong involving bowling balls and hand grenades was suddenly going on inside his skull now. All the fire now focused on him as he was out in the open. But the telekinetic shield before him stopped all of the lead projectiles dead and helped to deflect any energy ones that he couldn't stop by using it as a makeshift shield. Once he had enough of it, he focused all of his power into one cataclysmic blast that sent the whole mass of projectiles speeding with the force of a giant railgun straight towards the door, sending the whole thing inwards with enough force to drag all the soldiers gathered around it like he'd just opened up a black hole. "'Oh, fuck yeah! Here comes the Dark Angel, motherfuckers! Let's fucking go!' Shepard bellowed, and her cheer was picked up by the others as they all burst out from cover, shooting or charging. They just fell in alongside Seven as he ran forwards, only just about aware of the energy crackling all around him again as he focused his anger into his power. If there was ever a time to unleash his anger, this was it. What the fuck is that thing? One of the soldiers beyond the door yelled to his companions as Seven dashed through the large hole that had once been a giant metal blast door with his team at his flanks on either side shooting or full-on sprinting towards them. The claws got royally stuck in. In fact, the only one that was missing here was Passer, who had seven had left behind to recover despite his protests. He'd wanted to stay with his family, but his mother had finally won the argument. In fact, he had taken a direct command from his mother to get the now winged claw boy to finally agree. At least she didn't have to whack him with a giant claw-shaped sandal to get him to calm down. For the claws! Vesp bellowed and all of her children and Ven as well as Visa bellowed roars in response like a giant claw voice war cry that had a very desired effect. Gathered the gathered enclave soldiers that were holding the lobby area. that was more of a vehicle maintenance bay than a lobby now. Freaked out, scrambling over each other to try and find cover or to find their power armour. Seven spied a large group of captured and controlled claws just stood in the corner "'seemingly bemused by the sudden appearance of these strangers, "'but given that they been given no commands to attack, "'they simply just stood there watching. "'It was like they were switched off. "'That was until one of the Enclave officers, "'dressed in a black uniform, "'grabbed a large control box from a box near them "'and started pressing buttons. Shauna, now! Unleash the claws!' "'Sam bellowed as he stood like a living bulwark "'to the hail of oncoming fire-aimed at his friends and loved ones.' Other than Malachi's armour, he was the only thing stood between these people and certain death, and he would not fucking fail them. Suck jaw claw justice, you fucking cowards! Shauna bellowed as she punched the button on the jammer that she was carrying inside an armoured bag that Malachi had made for it. The effect was once again instantaneous. The claws suddenly all started reaching for their heads as the signals were being jammed, and their senses began to scramble and flood back in at the same time. Vess instantly saw her chance. Brothers and sisters, to me! She bellowed, running in front of the confused claws. Now, they might not have been able to understand her words, but the feral claws instantly recognised an alpha matriarch when they saw one. And without so much as a second thought, they released bellowing roars of their own and joined her, charging forward. Running alongside their sentient armoured brethren as they ran across the lobby towards the entranced Enclave troops. This unleashed pure carnage as the Enclave realised they quickly just lost their trump card. This replaced with pure fear now that came with seeing a whole pack of angry claws sprinting right at them at full charge with very murderous intent. It was like watching a light come on scattering a room filled with rad roaches. The claws leapt over the tables and crates that the enclave had been using as makeshift cover. The sheer amount of fire that was hitting Seven's shield was beginning to ebb his power down and he could feel himself failing now. "'We need to end this now! I'm fucking losing control!' he yelled as the pain began to break through the wall of anger that was allowing him to keep his large semicircle wall of energy between his people and the oncoming projectiles. Seven, let it go! Hit them with it all at once!' Shoner yelled and like a sunbeam through the clouds, Seven saw what she meant, and a cruel smile lit up his face. Why hadn't he thought of that? "'Fuck you!' he bellowed as he focused every single bit of his anger from all the injustices both he and the claws had suffered right into a single burst, and with that push he sent it ripping forward like an invisible wall of death. The telekinetic wave was like pure chaos washing over everything in its path. He'd angled it just right to avoid his own people and to hit only the enclave soldiers beyond. The unarmoured humans it hit, it completely tore apart, shredding their bodies like they'd fallen into an invisible blender. It tore limbs from sockets and launched them around, like they were stuck in an invisible tornado. Screams became the new anthem of the room. The soldiers had managed to reach their power armour weren't exactly torn apart right away, but they were far from spared. Their armour was crushed and smashed like they'd been hit with a nuclear blast. Panels crushed and dented in, electronics smashed, helmets containing heads ripped clean off. Seven's raw fury tore the entire place and the people within it completely apart. With the last of his power spent, Seven collapsed to the floor, trying desperately to hold on to his consciousness as people tore into the survivors like a wave of fury. Even Malachi and Gregory were getting stuck in, firing shots at anyone still moving, until finally, after what felt like an eternity but was merely only seconds, the room fell deadly silent, as the last of the defenders fell dead. One of the feral claws went to charge towards Gregory upon seeing the human near him, but before he could take more than a single step, Vern appeared right in front of him and bellowed so loudly in his face that the whole place shook. Touch him, and I will remove your arms and kill you with them. This human is mine, he bellowed loudly. The claw screeched to a halt and looked confused, as all the sentient claws formed a scaled wall between the humans and the non-claws, and the ferals themselves. They all glanced back and forth, but turned turning to look at Vess, who was with the power of confidence and authority of being an alpha matriarch, claw gave her strode forward and touched the nearest one on the shoulder. You are free, children. Go and roam free as you were born to do. You are no longer slaves of these vile humans. So be free, she said, with a and suddenly with the last of his strength, seven crushed the components in each of their helmets, making them fall silent on their heads and freeing them from their control completely. The claws glanced back at him. And then at Vess, and then back at him again, as if suddenly understanding he was responsible for their freedom. Then, as one, the ten claws all turned together and ran for the exit, like a pack. Visa appeared at Seven's side and scooped him up into her arms. Are you okay, my beloved one? Speak to me, she asked quickly, and he nodded softly. Yeah, I will be. "'Got a skull full of nail bombs, but it'll be all right in a bit. "'I just need a rest,' he said, and she hugged him tightly against her. "'You're getting better at this, my love. "'With every day you grow stronger.' "'And he smiled. "'You are once again true to your words, Evan. "'With every passing minute I see why my niece loves you the way she does. "'Thank you for not taking the easy way out and killing those innocent claws. "'Thank you. "'Thanks to you.' They will go forth and find their own way now and thanks to what they saw here they will know that not all humans are bad and that there will be those that will stand for them and not against them, Vess said and he smiled and nodded. Thanks Vess, that means a lot coming from you he said and she bowed to him. Okay, as soon as I've rested up we'll crack that fucking door open and we'll see if this place was worth the effort Seven said and the group set up to defend against any further attack while they waited for Seven to recover his strength. Ah, so that wasn't as a bit of a mishmash, wasn't it, ladies and gents? So we had little secret stealthy missions going on in the Brotherhood compound, we had full-on battlefront attacked, going on at the Enclave compound. Seems everybody's in on the party today. But will this Project Unity pan out to be everything that they hope it will be? Will they be able to replicate the results, or is are going to be a one-off? Will they be able to use the technology to maybe help the ghouls? Maybe it might be able to sort, of even sort faith out, you never know. But there's only going to be one way to find out the answer to these questions, and more besides. You're going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time, with more answers.